Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. How do I sign up for the Ironman Hawaii? And then I realized really quickly what I had to do. Uh, so I, I looked at the qualifying times and I was like, wow, that, that's you know, certainly not where I'm at. But how do, I, how do I get to that point? And so it just became really the size of that goal. You know, it's, it, I couldn't just keep looking at it and keep getting frustrated. I had, to, I had to break it down into those incremental steps. So I just ultimately signed up for a sprint triathlon and to happen in, you know, six months uh, from that point. And so that was where I put my sights and that's what I started training for. And then knowing that the Ironman, the full Ironman was in the distance that following March, I uh, just kept uh, scaling up to, okay, I did a sprint. Okay, that was great. I did, a, did an Olympic, that was great. And then, you know, next one's a half Ironman. I do that, great, I'm done with that. Now we're gonna focus on that, that full. And I just kept on on leveling up and each time it would, you know, just give me that sense of, okay, now I have a, another baseline to build on and that new foundation. This is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Fascinating stories to amaze, encourage, and inspire you in fishing, fitness, and the outdoors. And we're brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. I started this podcast as a way to connect with my friends, people that I admire and respect, and you. It has been a learning journey that's made me a better person, a better fisherman, a better father, and a better athlete. I'm so happy that you're on this journey with me, and I'd love to hear from you with show suggestions, guest suggestions, or questions. The best way to get a hold of me is through text. You can text 305-930-7346 for the fastest response, but if you prefer to email, you can send that to podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. That's a dedicated email address just for the show. If you like this show, you can show your support by posting about it on social media and tagging me. Text the link to a couple of friends that may also enjoy it and subscribe and leave a five-star review if you feel like I've earned it. The website is TomRollandPodcast.com, and that is where everything lives. All past shows, you can go and listen to any show. You can look up all the different shows that we've done, both the How To Tuesdays, the Full Links, and the Physical Fridays. They all live on TomRollandPodcast.com, and the social media is Tom underscore Roland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D, on Instagram, or you can go to our big account, saltwater underscore experience. I hope to hear from you soon. So now let's get on to today's show. I'm Adam Hill, and this is the Tom Roland Podcast. All right, Adam, how are you, man? 
I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. This I, is awesome. I appreciate it, man. I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. I'm interested in hearing your story. I've, I've watched some video of you and what you've been able to accomplish and do in your, in your life, especially recently. And it's very impressive, man. Very impressive. So Thank you. what's Thanks. your story? Well, I come from a completely non-athletic background. Uh, and <laughs> so I, I started out without, uh, uh, well, I, I did try ball sports, baseball in particular, and ended up as a, a second string bench warmer to a team that went 0 and 10 and, uh, you know, really kind of got into music instead and decided that that was my path instead of athletics. Um, I also grew up with, uh, a, uh, a bit of an anxiety disorder that I didn't know I had. Uh, which then became a descent into a drinking problem that became a much, much worse over time to manage that anxiety disorder. Mm. And over time, you know, making a long story short, I, uh, I did end up getting sober, which changed my mindset to a perspective of being able to do a lot of things that I wasn't, didn't think that I would be able to accomplish before, which then got me into triathlon. And uh, then I started uh, you know, practicing a lot of discipline in that sport and, you know, developing quite a, uh, you know, quite an adventure out of that. <laughs> and, and making it all the way to Kona, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, the, the dream of a lifetime and a thrill of a lifetime to achieve it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's really, that's really amazing. I mean, that is, I, I've, I've been on the course there and, and when I went to Hawaii, I went to Hawaii this summer and I was, I've, I've watched the Ironman on TV and I was, I've seen it and I'm like, man, we are, we are on the course. Like this is the road that they ride their bikes on. And it was just such a cool thing. And that's such a, that's such an amazing race. Um, and, and it also such an amazing production, the way that they've done that over the time where they bring in human interest stories. Um, it's, it's really one of the best produced athletic events, I think. And I think even their work you see now in the, you know, the NFL is doing similar things like that with bringing in these human interest stories and, and all sports are doing that because it just made like, instead of just watching people swim, run and bike, like you, you understood these people and you understood that not all of them are like these professional athletes. Like a lot of these people are just like you and me, or even like a couple of years ago, we're in, in a whole different place in their, in their life, like, just like you. And, um, it's, it's such a cool thing. I, I really, that's one of the things I like most about triathlon is, is the production of that Ironman event. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. That was the first thing that brought me into the sport was that seed that was planted, you know, maybe a, a 15 or 16 years ago, while I was still in the depths of anxiety and, and a drinking problem, I saw it on television and I was, so amazed and inspired by the stories that I saw and uh, of just normal people that, that, you know, they said doctors, lawyers, teachers, all these different kinds of people. And I was like, wow, that looks amazing. I would love to do that. And then the next thought that came into my head was, yeah, but you could never do that. Hmm. And then never thought about it again until I did uh, when I was sober and my mindset shifted. And, you know, ultimately it was great because there, there was just closing that cycle you know, uh, about a decade later and qualifying for Kona, I had a chance to meet uh, some really great people, including the producer of those Ironman broadcasts, uh, Evan Hathaway, who was just an amazing person and, and really created some amazing stories in that process. Yeah. Over, over the years, he, he definitely has. It's, it's, yeah. it's really one of the better things on TV. Um, 
So I'm interested in how the how the mind shift, the mindset change. We talk a lot about mindset on this on this podcast, and in 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 terms of uh, accomplishing things that you didn't think that you could, or in, or or just you know throughout throughout your whole life, like mindset is so important. The way that you think about something, the way that you um, whether you have confidence in it or not. And I'm just kind of interested, like you were so definitive that when you were, when, you know, a while back, you, you, you just said, well, you could never do that. Like you have this negative self-talk that's telling you, you can't do that. Now, how does that change? What changes that, that has you kind of even question like, well, could I do that? Like, cause that's the first step. Like maybe I could, right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it was, it's just that little spark of of being able to break through that wall of I can't. And for me, it came, you know, a year earlier, a year before I remembered that experience of watching the Ironman on television. I, um, you know, I, I was uh, a year sober at that point. So I, 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 what happened to me was I reached a bottom in alcoholism that was so, uh, you know, uh, was so bad for me that it, 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 you know, forced me into a decision of, you know, deciding that I was either going to continue down that path and end up in jail or dead or worse, or, you know, turn my life around and go to AA, listen to some people that, you know, knew what they were doing in sobriety. And, and again, at that point in time with as hopeless as I felt with, you know, anxiety, uh, and depression and, and all of these things and, and a drinking problem, I didn't think that I could stop. Um, you know, I, I just decided to completely let go and, and, uh, uh, you know, attend meetings every day and just start listening to people that had the experience in, in sobriety. And, you know, just going through that experience of, of, of just doing what other people told me to do, you know, getting sober and doing all of the right things to do that and focusing 100% on that first, uh, that showed me that when you can put enough focus and discipline into something, that you can make a major life change. And that's what led me down the path of a year later when I had a year sober. I was always told in 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 recovery rooms that you know wait a year before you make any wait before you make any major life changes. Hmm. And that always stuck with me but I heard it as once you hit a year make major life changes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I I um so you know my my A type just thought of that and like and you know whether by whatever Whatever it was that caused it, I don't know how it ended up in my head again, but I remembered that experience sitting on the couch watching the Ironman World Championship, and I remembered being inspired. And at that time, when I was uh, a year sober, I was recovering from a shoulder surgery, so I was immobile, but I was, but my mindset was shifted into this point of being able to just slightly break through that wall and ask the question, well, what if, what if instead of I can't, what if I, what if I try it? And so in the spirit of extreme accountability, which is one of the best methods for, for achieving anything you want to put your mind to, I just, I put down the $750 and signed up for an Ironman to happen a year later without knowing how to do any of it and decided to build the parachute on the way down. Nice. I think that's so important to, to have something on the schedule, whether it's an Ironman or, or, or I remember when I was thinking about running my first marathon and that was a lot of the advice that was given by Hal Higdon and, and, and Jeff Galloway and those other people like that of man, sign up, sign up for the race, just do it, just sign up and put it on the calendar. And at least now you've made this major step towards 
doing something, towards committing to something. And, and that can be applied everywhere in life of like making that commitment that this is what I'm going to do, whether you just tell people or, or you actually sign up for something or more importantly, you plunk down some money that is non-refundable. And now you're like, okay, I've got, I've got pressure coming from a lot of different areas. I've told a bunch of people that I'm going to do this. I've put some money down. And right. now if I don't do it, I'm going to lose money and I'm not going to look so good. And uh, so you have like, you've created this kind of pressure for yourself. It did that. Was that good for you to, to have that? It was, it was, it was very good for me. And uh, at least, at least from internally, and from the support system of my immediate family, like my wife is incredibly supportive. I could have never done anything like this unless she said, you know, yeah, you should go for it. Hmm. Because I told her thinking that she would say, no, you're crazy. You know, you, you never done anything like that. Why would you think that? And I was expecting and hoping <laughs> for her to say, yeah, no, no, just forget about that. But no, she said, no, you should do that. That's awesome. And I'm like, oh, crap, now I have to do it. But, so uh, when you sign yeah. up for that, when you sign up for that race, the, the first day, when you say, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to sign up for this race, what's your physical state at that point? I was complete. Well, I was injured. I had a, I was just recovering from a shoulder surgery and, uh, of a torn labrum and uh, which, uh, you know, you're, the doctor told me that I wasn't allowed to run for two months. I couldn't uh, swim for like five months, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and that didn't, it, when he told me that that didn't matter at that point, cause I didn't do any of those things. But, you know, once I had decided I was still in a shoulder sling and thinking to myself, okay, well, how am I going to do this? So, I, you know, from that standpoint, I was injured, but I was also unhealthy. I was not very active at that time because I was going through recovery from a mental and spiritual standpoint. I didn't focus on my body. So a lot of that was just I was still smoking cigarettes and, you know, uh, eating a lot of peanut M&Ms. So it wasn't, it wasn't a healthy lifestyle by any means. So I had to, I started with the nutrition aspect because that was the first thing that I could control. Mm -hmm. So I just immediately decided to be as simple and clean as possible, which was just eat whole healthy foods, which made sense to me and, uh, uh, and started walking. That was the did, first did step. Did you have any, um, were, were you reading any books or, or having any kind of, uh, 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 nutritional kind of guidance at all that, or did you just kind of jump into it yourself? A little bit of, of both. So I, I, uh, pretty early on when I was researching, um, I fell upon a book called, the uh, 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 well, it was by Phil Maffetone who, who wrote the, uh, the, the book name is escaping me, but I, I, yeah, the big book of, of endurance training and racing is the okay. name of the book. And that's, uh, and Phil Maffetone's method is, you know, very, very just whole foods, like just very simple, you know, eat lots of vegetables, eat lots of fruits, eat higher fat diets so that you can, you know, make yourself fat adapted. That stuff started resonating with me a lot. The idea of easy aerobic fitness and, and healthy, clean nutrition, because in the past I just heard all of the no pain, no gain stuff and, you know, go hard or go home. And I just thought that was the way I had to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's why I continued to injure myself. But, uh, this philosophy really re resonated with me. I found out that a lot of Ironman level triathletes succeeded with it. So I decided to, you know, put all my chips into that basket and give that a try. So and it starts that, with that walking. was one book. It starts yeah. with walking. And so how Absolutely. much walking are you doing in the, in the beginning? Uh, probably about 30 minutes a day just to get myself active. And, and that was all I was allowed. So, 
if the doctor gave me a, a, a leeway to say, yeah, just walk for 30 minutes a day, I would do the full 30 minutes and started building up from there. And I think part of the thing that really motivated me to continue doing that was just this idea that on the horizon, I would be able to run. And I was getting excited about the idea of running and swimming and biking, things that I hadn't done. Uh, so I was just, you know, chomping at the bit to do it by the time I could. And that was, that was helpful too. And so you're, I mean, you're, you're, I don't know if you're actually being accurate when you say you were not an athlete and you, I mean, had you done any running before this? I did. a Yeah, I did a little bit. I, I had, uh, uh, I had suffered through at most a half, a uh, couple half marathons okay. and, you know, had, you know, uh, maybe, maybe middle of the pack kind of, yeah. kind of person just, but just really weekend warrior, like, you know, uh, running when I could not really plan. And, um, and that was really it, but the whole time I was, you know, um, that was really in fits of fitness where I would, uh, uh still be drinking and smoking and things like that, which wasn't a healthy habit. <laughs> yeah. So then you go and try to blow it all out, uh, with a, yeah. with a 13 mile run and, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've seen that before. Um, so, and then, then this, this pathway to, to starting to run, um, is it just, just from walking daily and then you start like, how did, what, how did you kind of transition into, running and then into running the kind of distances that you need to be able to run, to do a, to do an Ironman. One of the things that really helped with that was the idea of running for time rather than distance, meaning run for 30 minutes instead of run for three miles, because everybody's three miles takes a different amount of time. And, uh, so that, that was a helpful one because to me running for 30 minutes sounds a lot more doable than running for three miles. Um, you know, another thing was just the fact that I was forced to ease into it with easy training. I couldn't let being injured and recovering from an injury. I couldn't allow my ego to get in the way of that and just say, I want to go run an eight minute mile right now because I wouldn't be able to, I would injure myself. And so I was forced to follow an easier method and, you know, following the math tone method, I was also had that governor of heart rate to train under a specific heart rate mm -hmm. to, uh, uh, to meet a specific goal. So I, I found myself pretty quickly, um, gradually with, with consistency, gradually improving my paces under a heart rate. And as I recovered from with my shoulder, as I began to increase the volume of training gradually, you know, I, I got, I got fitter and I saw the, I saw the benefits. Uh, mm -hmm. So, it, so yeah. how are you feeling at this point? Like, you know, how, how is the exercise adding the exercise into your life, uh, helping you to, to kind of, um, deal with all the other things that you're going through, like the, 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 you know, getting off the booze and, and how is the exercise affecting your life? It's, uh, it was, it was an amazing supplement to sobriety. And the reason I call it a supplement is, is it's by no means a replacement. You can certainly go unhealthy addictions in, in many different ways, yeah. but, uh, you know, just the fact that I was able to, uh, uh, get into this community and meet some great people that, uh, that were focused on health and wellness, you know, it just leveled up my energy. It leveled up my, my mental state, it mentaled up my my ability to realize what was possible in my life. So all of that stuff was just a flywheel 
that was spinning and, and, and helping to kind of propel me into this virtuous cycle of believing in myself, hmm. which was something that was completely opposite of what I used to be a hopeless, you know, drunk that didn't really, uh, you know, have any hope or belief in, in myself. And so this, this was a big sea change in that. Yeah. So probably, I mean, so far we're painting this pretty rosy picture that, that you, you stop drinking, you go to a few classes, you start running and everything seems to be better, but certainly along the way, there had to be some, some challenges and, and wondering, like, did you get yourself, like, what have I got myself into? I don't know if I can do this. Like, did you, did you encounter, you know, doubt in this process? Yeah. That's a great start to the conversation. We're going to take a short break and get right back to the show in just a moment. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Oh, absolutely. And even at the very beginning, it's it was very challenging for me to tell anybody. I mentioned that I told my wife and my, my very close inner circle, but I wouldn't even go beyond that. I didn't want to tell my parents. I didn't want to tell anybody else because, you know, I, I would be afraid of not them laughing at me necessarily, although that was a fear uh, and it was an irrational fear, but more so just them trying to protect me mm -hmm. and say things like, ah, maybe you should think, you know, set your sights lower. Maybe, maybe Iron Man isn't for you. And, and so I always had that self-doubt still ringing in my brain, you know, telling me, yeah, maybe this is going to be hard, especially with the swimming. Um, you know, as a, as a non-swimmer, really, I, I started life surfing in really easy shore break stuff but never really venturing out swimming like past buoys and hundreds of yards offshore where sharks lived. You know, <laughs> it was, uh, it was scary to me. Um, and, and, uh, and that was always, and still is to this day, you know, kind of an intimidating process, but, um, and so I, I did have a lot of self-doubt, a lot of setbacks of, of not reaching my goals. Um, and, uh, and it was, it was a tough, it was a tough thing to get over, but, um, you know, but, when, when people have big, big dreams, um, mm -hmm. often the most supportive people in your life, the most well-meaning do exactly what you said, try to protect you from that. Like, Oh boy, that's a big dream. Maybe, you know, are you sure you want to do that? And it's like, it's like the people that you're, you're hoping to get the most support from are actually the most damaging in that, that they, they just want to protect you. They don't want to see you get hurt. And it, it, and it usually is like parents, sisters, brothers, I don't know, people that are really, really close to you. What do you, what do you, mm -hmm. what kind of advice do you give people after going through this yourself? Like about that, whether it's that they want to do an Ironman or run a marathon or open a new business or quit their job and start something 
you know, because a lot of people are in that situation. It's like, do you just hold that in close or do you talk to them? Or does that, does that doubt coming from your own family? Does that, I mean, for some people that's going to fuel, fuel people, other people, it's going to damage them badly, you know? So where do you sit with that? What do you think about that? Yeah, I I think, uh, I think it helps certainly to know what motivates you. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if, if, if you get fueled by people telling you no, or you can't do that, then by all means, tell the world, (laughs) you know, and, and go after it. But I would also say, be just, just be very self-aware of of the type of person you are. For me, you know, I, I was, you know, I'm a hypersensitive person in a lot of ways. So I take a lot of that stuff personally. If somebody tells me you probably should, you know, especially in that state, I might've taken that to heart. So I was very strategic about the way I, I told people. And maybe I was a little too strategic at that point because I really didn't trust the endurance community to embrace me, mm. which was a mistake. And that's another thing that I would encourage people to do is if you, if you really want to pursue something, uh, especially with social media now, there are encouraging and supportive communities out there that will help beginners to, to, really, get them to, to really get into the sport. I mean, with triathlon in particular, there are beginner uh, triathlon groups on on social media that have tens of thousands of people in them. There are Ironman communities. And I can tell you firsthand from those communities, if you, if you really reach out and are vulnerable, people will welcome you in and, and, and help you through the process. Uh, it's, and I'm, I'm almost certain that every, every, uh, uh, extreme adventure has that kind of support. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's what I would advise is just looking for those communities. Yeah. The community aspect of, of anything is great, but sometimes, sometimes you, you don't have a community like, like this, a, a major part of this podcast is like being a, being a fishing guide. Like that's what I was. I was a fishing guide for a long time. And, and, you know, when you pull into a new area and you want to be a fishing guide, you're immediately being com- competitive, competitive to everyone else that's out there. And they, you know, so in that situation, you're not going to, you shouldn't expect a, a welcome committee to, to, you know, welcome you to town and show you exactly what to do. And so, you know, whether it's opening a new business or, or, you know, stepping into something like that, those are things that you have to, you have to expect like, okay, there's not going to be a welcome committee here. There's not going to, nobody's going to be real happy to see me and nobody's going to offer me any respect whatsoever until I prove myself until, until I show them that I can, you know, behave in the right way. And I'm not going to step on everybody's toes and I'm not just going to come in here, you know, guns blazing and, and, and try to recreate the wheel. It's like, you know, a lot of times you have to just kind of expect that and there's not going to be any help. Um, but on the other hand, like in, in these situations, there's so many people that have done exactly what you did start from a, from a physically incapable place of doing one of these things to a year later doing it and maybe even, you know, doing it at the highest level It's pretty incredible. Um, the physical transformation, I'm, I'm interested. So you, you, you got, you, you started the running at what point do you decide, okay, well, if I'm going to do this. There's two other parts to this <laughs> better. And I've only got like four months, five months left, or I'm five months into this. Like, when do you start picking up the other skills? Yeah. So I, I, started as quickly as I could, as, as quickly as my injury would allow. Uh, so, so, uh, actually the first uh, thing I did after walking was get on a, a bike trainer. So mm-hmm. a stationary bike and started training on that. 
Um, and, uh, uh, and really that was in my garage and that was a, a comedy of errors in and of itself because I, <laughs> again, I hadn't reached out to anybody. I didn't know what I was doing. So I set up my bike on this trainer. I didn't even attach the the flywheel to the back of the wheel. So I was just spinning in the air and thinking, this is so easy, uh, you know, effortless, but, uh, yeah, I had to learn a lot as, as I went. Um, and the second part, uh, when I did start swimming, uh, that was a little later on. And again, that was, uh, that was a little more difficult because I was getting over a significant fear there. You know, the fear of just being out in the open water, um, you know, uh, you probably don't have that fear of being a fishing guide and all that kind oh, of stuff. Oh, there's plenty. Uh, no, I know exactly what's <laughs> under that water. <laughs> there's, <Right. laughs> there's, there's a lot of things that will bite you under that water. Yeah, no, there's, that's a significant fear. And, and, and my fear comes, um, mostly, when, you know, I, I know about fish behavior and when the water's clear, you don't really have a lot to worry about. I really, I really don't think that a shark's going to attack you, uh, when the water's really super clear, uh, or, or it would be a very rare occasion when you're going to get bit is when the water's muddy and they are in with a bunch of bait fish and you happen to be in there too. And it's very likely, that's why I think most shark encounters happen when they're you know, less than three feet of water, because you, your whole silhouette's not in the water. They're, they don't uh, typically eat things that are as big as you or even try things that are as big as you. But if they only see a foot of you, you're just like everything else. And they don't know what you are and the way they they don't have hands. They they test things with their face and it has a lot of teeth, <laughs> you know, but I don't like swimming in I don't like swimming in muddy water, you know, and, and yeah. that's where. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's that's tough. And, and then, you know, sharks. Sharks are, they're, they're funny creatures because you, you, you we're told by the movies and, and even by shark week that they like all this, they like all this, um, commotion and stuff like that. And you can attract them with all this. It's not that way when you're fishing for them. Like mm-hmm. they want the freshest chum. They don't like old stinky stuff. They want the freshest thing that looks, that smells just like a fresh kill. Then they want, um, nice. They, they don't want any noise. You can scare the crap out of them by stomping on the bottom of the boat or slamming a hatch or something like that. And, and so many of the things that, that you see in the movies are just not true when you're actually fishing for them. And then when you actually target them, they're way harder to catch most times than, than, than you think they will be, you know, but I don't know. Shark attacks are, I, I mean, they do happen, but I would think in an Ironman start where you have so many people going like that, I would think that that would, that would be the least chance, you know, that you would have yeah. of, of ever having a shark attack unless there was just one there and everybody swam over the top of it and it freaks and, you know, does something, but you know, it would be a rarity, but it's, it's a legitimate it's a legitimate fear. I mean, you, you're where they are and there's a sure. chance. There's always a chance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and, and you're dressed and, like uh, a seal. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. You always, you always hear the statistics of, Oh, you, you know, chances are greater that you're going to get hit by lightning. They can attack by a shark, but yeah, but, that's until you dress up like a seal and go into their environment. Yeah. Water, but the other so. thing is, is you're spending all your time outdoor training, except when you're riding your indoor trainer in your garage. So you have a pretty good chance of getting struck by lightning too. 
That's true. <laughs> yeah, know? that's very true. <laughs> it's a dangerous sport, you know. You got a good it chance is. of getting hit by a car. I mean, that's really the that's um, yeah. you know, when I was running my marathons and I, I had the idea, I've never done a, an Ironman. I've done some triathlons, but I wanted to, you know, I was like in really good uh, marathon shape, and I thought, well, you know, if I I was always a good swimmer growing up, and if I just if I just added in the bike, um, I think I could do this really well. And, and I was in the Florida Keys and boy, the roads there are just so bad. And my wife has rarely asked me not to do anything, but she was like, man, I would really rather you not ride your bike on the roads in the Florida Keys. And, mm-hmm. and I, it was probably a smart choice because I mean, there's a lot of people down there on vacation, drinking beer, driving around, yeah. you know, but Absolutely. I mean, what about that? Is that a legitimate fear for you about getting hit on the bicycle? Yeah, it's certainly a legitimate concern. And, mm-hmm. and you know, the reason being, you just look at the statistics. If there's one out of 100 negligent drivers out there and you're on a five-hour bike ride, I mean, how many negligent drivers are you going to run into? Right. I mean, it, it's, there's certainly that, that chance. And for me, fear is a weird thing. You know, uh, the anxiety is a weird thing. You know, I, I get, and it's never rational, at least for me. Uh, the, the anxiety that I experience is always of the unknown. It's always of like, okay, I'm in murky waters. Chances are I won't get attacked by a shark, but you know, what if a rogue wave comes? What if this happens? What if, you know, it's all these, what ifs that help that get into a panic attack and it comes down to this lack of control. Hmm. And on when I'm, when I'm riding on the road, which actually isn't that frequent anymore because of those concerns and just because it's safer to ride indoors and, you know, I get a better benefit and I can tolerate it really. <laughs> I, uh, I do a lot of my writing inside, but, uh, but I, I think it was just, it's just the fact that the, the risk is right there in front of me now. And I know it's there and I can see it and I can, you know, almost feel it that it's not as anxiety inducing to me, uh, mm-hmm. which is a weird thing to say as someone with an anxiety disorder, but that's just how it's how I experience it, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it's always the irrational things that cause the biggest havoc in my mind. Is that what was happening when you were having the, you know, before this big transformation, you're having all these anxiety uh, attacks and things. Is that, is, was that the beginning of it? Like just not knowing like something, I don't know. How would, how would that, how would that occur for you when that, when that was happening? Yeah. And it started really the panic attacks started when I was in college. And before that, I didn't really know what it was, but it was just this kind of murmuring or under the surface kind of worry uh, that would constantly. So I didn't know back in the nineties that I had an anxiety disorder or anxiety. We didn't really talk about that back then. And so when I got into college, the first panic attack I had was, was just that it was, it was this completely irrational fear of something that was totally not, you know, something I should be worried about. You know, I had, I worried that because I was, uh, uh, um, uh, because my, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, because we hadn't been tested for HIV, I was worried that I had it, or I had this massive panic attack in such certainty. And it's ridiculous to even think that because there's just no reason to assume it, but I knew it was certainty just in my mind. And of course it didn't come to pass. And then the next thing that came up was just this fear of having cancer or, or things like that. And it just, and it wasn't just like this under under the surface kind of fear. It was a legitimately paralyzing panic attack that left me like on the floor, uh, you know, frightened. How so you, uh, how do you get over that? Like when you think you have cancer and you're having <laughs> panic attacks, I mean, do you go get checked out at the doctor? Like what 
what's the process to get o- over that? Or does it just chill out after a little while, after the panic attack subsides? Like, what, what, what do you do there? It, it would kind of come in waves a little bit, uh, but, but mostly it was still there is this sense of dread. And I did go see the doctor a couple of times. You know, I got, I got tested for HIV, for example, and came negative. And then there was immediate sense of relief for a few days until another panic attack, something replaced it. Like, you know, and then I would get, you know, uh, go to the dentist and say, I have some bumps in my mouth and there, I'm, I think it's cancer. They'd be like, no, it's not. <laughs> and so I would get that, that little sense of relief, but, um, but yeah, I would always come back. So the, the one thing that I did, which is certainly not healthy to that immediately relieved it was alcohol. Mm. So that's where, you know, alcohol became a much bigger presence in my life. Uh, for you know the next decade. So do you eventually replace alcohol with exercise? Is that what's going on I, here I, a little bit? Uh, well, without the, without the recovery element, I, I never really replaced alcohol with, with anything. I just tried to add things to it. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would try, you know, 90 day fitness programs, or like you said, you know, go out, you know, a couple months before a marathon and start training for a half marathon or something like that and push myself too hard and burn myself out while I was, you know, still drinking. And I would have periods there where I would white knuckle sobriety, where I would just not drink for a period of a couple months or, or a period of time, uh, just to show myself that maybe I could and, and to get the heat off from family. But, you know, eventually it, it would come back because I wasn't preparing the, you know, the, the uh, psychological aspects of, of why I was drinking. And, and so um, the recovery groups help you with that the most, or is there another mechanism that helps you do, I mean, is it just introspection at some point of, of why you're drinking and, and how you get over that? Because that seems like, like it, just listening to your story, that seems like the major mindset shift is that, that you come to terms with why you were doing it. And then you can realize why you don't need to do that anymore and then feel happy in the place where you are and start to thrive. Right. And so how did you, how do you do that? How did, how did that happen for you? Yeah. So first it was, it was definitely recovery groups and a lot of therapy. Uh, and that's, that's the one thing that I'll, I'll say right now is, is we can never do these things alone. You know, especially when we get into the states of hopelessness, we just can't do it alone, but there is help. And that's the, that's the message that I would, you know, encourage everyone to share, whether it's a recovery program like AA or, or, or something else, um, and, and therapy or, you know, finding a, 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 a confidant who is licensed to help with that. I had a therapist that I had been working with while I was, uh, uh, while I was actively drinking that was also with me in recovery. Um, so she knows me very well in both scenarios and, in the first you know, few years of, of sobriety, I was going to AA pretty religiously to, uh, for my own, my own recovery. And what I found personally for myself, and this isn't true for everybody, but that, that, you know, part of my ability to help overcome my anxiety is to be more open and to share more openly what my story is and hopefully help, help other people. It also holds me accountable to to staying sober. Mm -hmm. So I found that instead of it, I found that, you know, putting anonymity aside for myself was helpful and just sharing openly what I've been through. Wow. And, and then, you know, what, what kind of just struck me there is it's like, 
you know, on on the surface, it almost looks like maybe maybe you replace, you know, uh, alcohol with with exercise, and and this is a kind of a coping mechanism. But then when you talk to you more and more, it's like, no, like you you got to this place in your life to where you realized, man, I can do so much more, and this is something that I'd like to try, and as opposed to using it as a coping mechanism, it's like it's like you're using it. This is just a new experience, right? And something right. that you end up liking probably way more than you even thought so, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I've, I've found in that process that, well, well one important thing I'll, I'll step back on too is that, that, the, that learning what my anxiety was, learning that I had it and giving it a name was, you know, was, was equally important to starting that recovery process was like, ah, okay, so this is a thing. This isn't just me being crazy. It's actually a thing. And, and I'm validated in that and I can actually start moving forward and healing from it. And ultimately that, that the next level that came from that with doing something like an Ironman, I realized even through that process that doing these little things to overcome fear, just to push past the comfort zone, just a little bit, were almost antidotes to that anxiety as well, because they just, they increase the elasticity of, of our comfort zone. Hmm. And so adventure became this antidote for anxiety for me. Wow. What other kind of adventures were you getting into? Well, that was, uh, that was probably the biggest one. I had a, <laughs> I had a pretty, pretty big focus on that and, uh, and pretty big goals there. Um, uh, so for, for a long time, that was, that was the adventures that I got into, but even now I kind of look at making sure that I, that I try some new things. Like, you know, I got back on skis recently here to try and do that and found, well, wow, this is a little scary. I better, you know, do it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, foil boarding, surfing, those kinds of things, you know, help with that as well. Just pushing a little bit beyond the comfort zone. That's awesome. So, so you get in, you get in shape, you started riding your bike, you're swimming now. Did you start in a pool or, or in open water? Yeah, I started in a pool. Yeah. Definitely. I was, uh, I was very scared of the open water. All right. So how does the, how does the, the, the graduation to Kona happen? We're going to take a quick break and get right back to the show in just a moment. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, 
check out MidwayUSA.com. So it's, uh, it's, it definitely started very gradually. Um, and that's where a lot of the, the trouble with self-belief happened. You know, in that first year of just preparing for the first Ironman, uh, I had it in my head that, man, I really want to do that, that Ironman world championship, because that's the one in Hawaii. Even that's before you, even before you try the first one that you got your eyes set on, on that. Absolutely. In okay. fact, the very first thing I did when I realized I want to do an Ironman is I look up, how do I sign up for the Ironman Hawaii? And then I realized really quickly what I had to do. Uh, so I, I looked at the qualifying times and I was like, wow, that that's, you know, certainly not where I'm at, but how do I, how do I get to that point? And so it just became really the size of that goal. You know, it's, it, I couldn't just keep looking at it and keep getting frustrated. I had to, I had to break it down into those incremental steps. So I just ultimately signed up for a sprint triathlon and to happen in, you know, six months uh, from that point. And so that was where I put my sights and that's what I started training for. And then knowing that the Ironman, the full Ironman was on the distance that following March, I uh, just kept uh, scaling up to, okay, I did a sprint. Okay. That was great. I did a, did an Olympic. That was great. And then, you know, next one's a half Ironman. I do that. Great. I'm done with that. Now we're going to focus on that, that full. And I just kept on, on leveling up at each time it would, you know, just give me that sense of, okay, now I have a, another baseline to build on and that new foundation. Wow. Uh, once I finished that first one, uh, you know, speaking about setbacks, you know, you reach these plateaus and I pretty quickly reached a plateau where I was probably about 10% off of where I needed to be to, to qualify for, for Kona. So, you know, in that first race, I, I, I finished probably in the top third of the field and I realized, well, maybe there's something to this, you know, I did pretty well in my first one. Maybe I should see how well I can do. And then I started getting into the top 20 of my age group. And, uh, and that's probably where I stayed for the next few races. And so it got a little frustrating to the point where I was uh, um, not frustrating, but got to the point where I plateaued and I'm like, well, maybe I should just take some time off and, and, you know, just reevaluate and just relook at this. And this, I know that just taking a step back is often what you need when you Mm -hmm. get a little burned out. But it was around that time, uh, you know, after my sixth Ironman and I was starting to do uh, pretty well and, and get up in the rankings, I, I learned about this, this, uh, this casting for this show, this reality show called Ironman Quest for Kona, <laughs> where, which my wife actually showed to me because she's obviously my biggest cheerleader and all of this stuff. And, and she showed me, she said, you should, you should apply for that. And I'm like, okay. So, um, so I did. And. Uh, we, you know, we sent out an audition video and, and, uh, yeah, again, caught the attention of Evan Hathaway, who I'd mentioned earlier and, and yeah, they cast me for the show. So then I had this added level of accountability where now I'm going to be on TV trying to qualify for this show. So, uh, for this, uh, for this event. So, um, so that's when it kind of got a little real and I started to really focus on the mindset aspect and gaining that, that additional 10%. And, you know, I did, uh, uh, just did more in terms of higher intensity, uh, stuff and, and got a little bit more surgical and how my training techniques could, could get that additional 10%, which is always the hardest to get. 
but I ended up uh, uh, finding it and and pulling it out in that uh, in that seventh race that I did. Wow! So the the time frame I'm interested in between the time that you 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 decide you sign up for the first one and the time you do your seventh race. What? How many months? Years? What is this we're, we're talking about here? Yeah, I did my first. So I, I made the decision to to sign up for an Ironman on uh, in January of 2013. And I uh, did my first Ironman in March of 2014. Hmm. And then, um, and then I qualified for Kona on July 28th or 29th of 2017. Okay. So it's, it was about four years in time frame, or a little longer than four years between my first race and my, my qualification. And so what age group were you in at this point? I was in the uh, 35 to 39 age group uh, when I qualified. Yeah. Very competitive. So what are the qualifying times for Kona for that age group? Uh, At Santa Rosa, which is where I qualified. Um, I, uh, uh, my qualifying time was, uh, nine 29. Uh, and that, uh, was good enough for third place in my age group. And uh, I think the, the winning time was somewhere just, just, uh, North of nine hours. Uh, so yeah, I was, I was right in, right in the range there. Yeah. That's great. Winning time of yeah. your age group or the winning time of the entire race? Uh, winning time of the age group. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't remember what the winning time of the race was, but yeah, it was, uh, some, sometime, some, something below nine hours, which was pretty so ridiculous. This <laughs> is, this is, um, this is pretty cool now. So you qualify for Kona, you know, you're going and then what's the time frame between that race that you qualify and the actual first time you go to Kona? That was, uh, uh, yeah. So Kona happened in October of 2017. Yeah. So I guess that was about four months. So you five, got four months. months. Yeah. And what do you, yeah. what do you do? What do you change in those four months when you know you've done this? And I guess, have they been filming you the whole time and they, they, they filmed you, um, you know, qualifying. They did. Yeah. So they, they filmed me up until I qualified. And then, uh, and that was basically the show. Uh, mm-hmm. they didn't, they did a little bit of a follow-up that year in, in the, uh, uh, the Ironman broadcast, which was a great, uh, experience for me to actually see myself on that show that I'd once watched and told myself I could never do. Hmm. Um, so that was, that was a thrill, but yeah, that they, uh, uh, they, they, basically through that process, uh, uh, and it was about, I guess it was about three months cause it was July to October. Um, my math is terrible, uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, through, through that time, I just, I trained as normal and, and, you know, and, and my goal for racing Kona was just to experience it and to finish it. So I obviously took it very conservatively. I didn't want to go out too aggressive and risk not finishing and, and just enjoy the whole experience. That's, and that's what I did. Yeah. So what was it like when you, in those four months of, of preparation, are you just trying not to get hurt? Are you just trying to maintain your fitness? Like what, what, what's the, what's the mindset there? Yeah. I was trying to maintain my fitness and, and do a lot of the same kind of training I was doing, building up to Santa Rosa and stay healthy and uninjured. I, uh, uh, so I, I, when I was cycling indoors and when I was running on the treadmill, I would constantly have those broadcasts of the Ironman world championship on and watch them. And so that was, that was really helpful, especially the swimming part, because the swimming part still terrified me. (laughs) This was going to be a swim 
where I couldn't have the support of a wetsuit. I wouldn't have that buoyancy. I would have to swim, you know, in the rough waters of, of Hawaii. Now, had you swam, really had you, all the other swim, swims you had been able to wear a wetsuit? Yes. And yeah, so this is going to be the I, first time you're going no wetsuit. That's correct. Yeah. And there's a no, significant I, 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 difference between the wetsuit and no wetsuit, right? Yeah, there is for, in buoyancy. Yeah. Fortunately, I mean, with the salt water helps, mm-hmm. but, and I, I stand corrected. I did have one race in Texas where it was non-wetsuit and that I did have a panic attack on that swim. It was, it was a tough one to get through and I was a lot slower, but, uh, uh, but yeah, it, it's a big difference and there's a lot more comfort with wetsuit. That's for sure. Yeah. And, um, so you're just, you're, you're just staying injured. You're not changing much. And then mm-hmm. tell me about, tell me about what it's like, um, when you get there, I don't know. You're probably checking into the hotel. You're seeing all these other people, maybe even some, some world-class people that you recognize. Everybody's got their, their bikes and their gear and everything. You can spot people from a mile away that they're here for the same reason you are. What is that mm-hmm. like? And you had, you had told yourself you were never going to be able to do it. Now you've accomplished this thing and you're actually there. Do you feel like you maybe ought to get back on the airplane and go home? Did you ever, did you ever have that thought? I was just listening to, um, there's this UFC fighter and he's one of the greatest of all time. His name is Henry Cejudo and he was an Olympic champion. And that's what he said. He said, you know, he finally made the Olympic team. He got to the Olympics. He gets there. He looks around and he's like, Oh my God, I need to get back on the plane right now immediately and go home. And he won, he won the gold medal in those Olympics, but that was, he, I mean, even if even at that level there is this this self-doubt that can creep in and and probably at ex- i mean especially at that level i guess like those people aren't immune to it they're not they're not mm-hmm. immune to it at all and he he literally wanted to get back on the plane and go home even after working his whole life to get to these Olympics. And that's what he thought. And then he managed to overcome that. He ends up winning. Then he goes on to be a multiple time UFC champion. But again, it's like, it's the way that you're perceiving the situation and, and, and your mindset going into it that, that can dictate even whether you step out onto the mat or you get on your, or you jump in the water for the swim or, or whatever. So what was that like for you? Did you, were you just super excited about this situation or did you have doubt? Like, do I really belong here? Or like, what did you think? It it was a, it was a week full of doubt. Let me tell you, I never (laughs) wanted to jump on the plane and go home. That's for sure. But uh, I mean, it was, it was simultaneously the most thrilling and frightening part time of my life. Cause I was just like, I can't believe that I'm here. I can't believe that I'm actually watching or, or you know, seeing all these people. The last time that I was in uh, Kona, in, in that, in that very spot, you know, staying at the Royal Kona hotel, which was the, the scenic outlook uh, I had was, it was a period of time many years before where I'd actually uh, had a few months of sobriety and I decided to break my sobriety at that hotel. Mm. And so it was very meaningful for me to, you know, to, to, to finish what I'd started here and, and, and get through it because I knew that just yards away from where I had broke my sobriety, I was about to participate in one of the, you know, in, in one of the most defining sports in our, in our world and, and, and events. And, um, and yeah, it, it was, it was terrifying again, especially that, that idea of getting in the water because there were every day that we were there, the water was one day it was really choppy, really swelly and, and very uh 
you know, a lot of currents going around. And then the next day it would be completely calm and wonderful. And, you know, it was just, what, what's it going to be? What's going to happen? And we made the mistake of booking a condo that was right on the water. <laughs> <laughs> and so the night before the race, I sat up all night listening to the waves crash against the rocks. And usually that would be the most amazing experience, you know, just listening to the sound of crashing waves outside your condo. It was the most terrifying thing that night, just listening to that saying, oh my gosh, it's going to be rough. It was raining. It was, it was stormy outside, you know, and, and, and it looked like it was going to be a really tough swim. But when we woke up the morning, all was calm mm. and it was just an amazing, beautiful day. <laughs> nice. So, it, yeah. So when you're, when you're suiting up, it's just still excitement and, and, and just looking around, like you can't believe you're there. Like that's, that's such a, that type of a situation. I've had it happen a couple of times in my life where, where you've, you've, you've thought about this, you've visualized it. You've, you've, I mean, like you, you were doing exactly that. You were all the time that you're running on the treadmill and on your indoor trainer, you're watching this race and these, these repeats of this particular race. It's so ingrained in your mind. And now you're here and it is like this moment where you're just like, I, I can't believe that I'm here. Like, this is surreal. That's what, that's exactly what it is. It's like this weird, but I, I'm sure that when you, when the water hits you, you're like, oh, it's real. And somebody kicks <laughs> you in the face <laughs> you know, on the swim start, then oh, yeah. it's, it's real, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's, that's super cool, man. And, and really, uh, did that race go, um, as expected and you just kind of took it easy and didn't have any troubles? It did. Yeah. It went, it went basically completely as expected. Uh, I got, I got the Royal treatment out there as far as, uh, what you can expect from the Island, which is a headwind both ways, yeah. uh, on the bike <laughs> and, uh, super clear, uh, clear water and, uh, um, yeah, swimming around the body glide boat or the body glove boat and, you know, riding up, uh, riding up Javi with the winds going cross side, you know, going 50 miles an hour down the hill. Yeah. It was, it was everything I could have hoped for. And then getting to the run and, uh, you know, running through town, you run through town for about the first 10 miles. So you get a lot of amazing crowd support and it's just, it's amazing. Then you go and you run back out to the lava fields and you're alone for the next 16 miles. Uh, I mean, with racers next to you, of mm -hmm. course, and aid stations, but really not a ton of spectator support. And so it's a lot of time to just think and, and reflect on it. And the whole time it's just like getting, getting that, that finish line keeps you going. And, uh, and then sadly you're so exhausted by the time you get close to the finish line that it's, you know, you remember bits and pieces, but every piece that I remember, it was just soaking in the finish line that I'd been watching for, for so long. And, and it was just, it was incredible. I mean, just, just that whole day, uh, even, even setting up in transition was setting up around the pro these pro athletes that I've been idolizing for so long, uh, meeting all of the other, uh, media athletes, the ones that they were going to follow on uh, with cameras and stuff like that. And having the opportunity to have the car drive by me and film me while I'm doing it, you know, it was just, it was the most amazing experience. And it demonstrated to me the power of what you just said, visualization, visualizing these things with certainty in your mind before they happen. And it was one of those few experiences in my life where I was able to just have this visualization of exactly what I wanted to have happen. Hmm. You know, I That's wanted so to be awesome. 
uh, yeah. And then look back and say, you know, that, that it, that it happened. I, I can, ju- I can speak to the power of visualization from that standpoint. Before we wrap up our conversation, we're going to take one final break. Be right back. Yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And that's so awesome. So at this point, you you finished that. When when was this race that you did, the, your first one? This was uh, uh, the first Ironman was in 2014. No, that's Kona. The, the oh, that was Kona. 2017. So 2017. Yeah. So uh, what's happened since then? So since then, I've I've done a couple of more races, uh, and I've I've really focused more on doing shorter distance things um, because I've I've you know introspectively looked at at myself and wondered, doing the work to get back to Kona and do all that kind of thing is is it really something that I want to achieve or is it just something that would you know just give me to get my ego a boost. Yeah, sure. And it would be exciting to do it. But at this point in time, I just haven't found the motivation to want to do that part again. I've wanted to, you know, do something different. And so I've, I've kind of turned in, turned uh, uh, my attention more toward coaching, more toward uh, uh, helping other people that, you know, may want to get started in triathlon. Uh, I remember when I first got started, I again, it was a comedy of errors. It was a lot of me trying to figure a lot of things out on my own because I was just really embarrassed or really afraid to get started. And I, I want to uh, try to build some platforms to help newcomers really get involved in the sport uh, who might want to try to elevate in that way. Have you done that? Have you built platforms like that? Like, what do you have? I do have a, yeah, I do have a platform for, uh, for beginner triathletes uh, at extra life fitness that, uh, uh, that, helps in 12 weeks, uh, people who haven't had any experience with triathlon to get started and get to their first sprint triathlon. Nice. And I also do some, a little bit of coaching, but, uh, right now I, I also, uh, I run a family business that, uh, uh, that's been taking a lot of my time as well, but yeah. And, What's that and I'm business? Hoping. What is it? It's we're a fourth generation family environmental chemical company. Environmental so we, uh, chemicals. We, like what, yeah. so what do you do? <laughs> like, what is it cleaning products or what is it? Yeah, it's a lot of water treatment, sewage oh. treatment, a lot of the things you don't want to think about after you turn on or before you turn on the water and after you flush it. That's where our, our products go. Right. To help uh, treat those products. So, yeah. Oh, well, we we think about that a lot. We got a lot of water issues in the state of Florida. And Oh, you uh, do? Yeah, well, you know, they get a lot of uh yeah, it's been it's been quite quite a few years here of algae blooms and stuff in the ocean. Oh, yeah. And so that uh th- that's that's kind of close to the heart. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, of that, like the, most of what you do is water treatment. That's pretty, that's a, a big part of it. Yeah. We're also in, in the construction industries, uh, uh, different chemicals for different applications oh, that's cool. and those sorts of things. Yeah. And so, and, and all of that is, um, you say it's environmentally sound, like how do you, how do you, what, what, what are you using and replacing what with what to make it more friendly to the, to the environment? So in a lot of ways, so, so there's different, different processes we, we put our products into. For example, we have certain, uh, uh, we have products like ammonia that we use in industrial systems that help reduce NOx emissions, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, obviously uh, help 
prevent NOx from going into the environment. Um, you know, additionally, for some of the refineries, we help. Uh, we have products that help. Uh, uh, you know, do that and uh, you know make sure that what their emissions are, are much lower. And um, for applications like water treatment plants, we you know we help uh, to make sure that the water that's going out is 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 clean. So we have products for that as well. And and uh, um, yeah, things things of that nature. We've been doing it for a long time, about ninety nine years now. Wow! So it's a super yeah. cool business. And has it always been um, like environmentally conscious, or has that been kind of like you see a need over the course of ninety nine years? Like we need to help clean this up a little bit. Um, is that what happened, or is it? Have you always? Is it? Is that the origin of the company? The, yeah, the origin was really we started out. Uh, just more as a broker. That's how the the business started with a you know one man broker riding his bike and making sales calls to a, a variety of places, and they got started in some laundry products and and things. But evolving over time, you know, we got into pool chemicals and and different kinds of uh, applications for uh, flooring products that would go in some military ships and and things like that in World War II. Uh, but over time, yeah, we evolved into more of the industrial applications uh, where, you know, they're required to meet emissions mm-hmm. standards or things of that nature. And, uh, you know, we supply the products to help them do that and cool. help them uh, to run their processes more efficiently and effectively. Yeah, that's yeah. cool, man. That's great. That's great. So what are your big takeaways about this journey that we've talked about? Like you, 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 you've made a total life transformation and, and you did it in your way. And there's plenty of other ways that people could, could accomplish kind of a similar thing. It doesn't have to be the exact way that you did, but, but when you look back on it, like what, what are the big takeaways that you have? My biggest takeaway from, from this whole process is that if you have enough focus and discipline and you work consistently that anything truly is possible. If I can get from where I was to where I, I have been, then you can really achieve anything that you want to put your mind to as long as you're committed to it and, and practice it with discipline. And, um, and, and that's the biggest takeaway that I just want to you know, provide people that, that there are periods in our lives, in all of our lives, where themes seem, uh, things seem, may seem hopeless, may seem that we can't get past the hump. We can't get past the brick wall or we can't get there, but there is always a tomorrow. And as long as we keep pushing towards that, and as long as we have the, the uh, will and the, and the willingness to, to, to push past it, that we can, um, and there's hope. I love it. That's a great message. Thanks. Yeah. So where do you go from here? What do you, what are you planning on doing? Besides so, the coaching and all that that we just talked about, but do you have any any further plans out? Yes. So my uh, book, Shifting Gears, comes out uh, in about a, a week. So uh, Tuesday, February eighth. So nice. I'm just in the process of putting that out there, and and um, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, getting in front of other people and speaking some more and sharing a little bit about this experience and and giving people some uh, ideas on how to get started in their own journey. Yeah, that's really. Tell me, tell me about the book a little bit. Is that kind of along the lines of what we've discussed, or is there more to what what you share in the book? Yeah, there's a. uh, It primarily is the the journey from it shares my experience of of dealing with an anxiety disorder when I as I was growing up, sharing a lot of the details and experiences with that, and uh, and then into my alcoholism and my recovery, and 
you know, I talk a lot about what happened there. And then of course the journey into triathlon. So it's broken up to those parts into those, into those different transformation first, the, the psychological and spiritual transformation of recovery and, uh, the physical transformation and, uh, uh, yeah, life transformation that came with uh, pursuing the Ironman. Wow. Yeah. What kind of discipline did it take to write the book? A lot. It, it actually <laughs> took me four years. <laughs> so, well, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, I've always toyed around with the idea of writing a book, and I know that it's 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 a pretty big bite to chew. Like, it, you yeah. know, there's there's more to it than just than just you know writing. Did you have some help with with writing the book, or like, how did what was the process like for you? So I wrote, yeah, I wrote the first, uh, first draft myself and, you know, and that, again, that took about, you know, a few years to do it. And, uh, uh, that was just a process of writing, rewriting, rearranging, and, and making sure that I felt that it was my voice. And that was the most important thing to me that is that it was my voice coming out. I didn't want a ghostwriter or anything like that. Uh, but after that, I had no clue what I was doing, I, you know, <laughs> as far as how to publish, how to copy edit or anything like that. So I, uh, I did hire out a company to help me with that process. And just, just as we were talking about, you know, community is so helpful with, with, you know, certain things, the community of, 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 you know, writers and authors and, and some of these communities that are there to help are very supportive. So that would be my suggestion. Anyone who wants to get started in that process is, is definitely find the help. Yeah. If I had to do it again, I would find it earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> is it, um, would you consider that, uh, like a publisher? is is who actually published your book i, I i'm self-publishing yeah. but kind of in a hybrid model uh -huh. so i'm getting the help of of another company that's self-publishing it for me right and the reason i went that way is is that traditional publishing uh i did try that route for a little bit and i investigated it again i don't know anything about that industry but for the type of story that i was offering um i felt that it was better to to go down the self-publishing route and kind of control uh, my story a little bit more. Mm -hmm. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. And so when the book comes out um, in, a, in a week or so, in a couple, uh, so that yep, would be February like you 8th. said, February 8th. So this might come out just out a little bit after that. But if the, if people wanted to read this, where would they go? So you can always uh, find me on adamhilltry.com. That's adamhilltri.com. And uh, I'll have a link to the book there, but it will be available on Amazon uh, and uh, and Barnes and Noble and all those uh, ebook stores that you can find. Cool. We'll have a paperback and ebook. Do you have audio? Not yet, but I'm planning on it probably maybe. You can uh, read it yourself months. with your good mic that you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I know how it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't read it with the with the uh, laptop mic. But um right. yeah, man, I like I think you would I think you would do really well with audio books because you'd probably have people that are walking and training for their triathlon and doing all kinds of stuff. I mean, that's when I listen to books and, and I listen to way more books than I read, uh, because I yeah. do a lot of driving too. But um, I, I, I love audio books. Yours would be a good one on audio. Thanks. You should just read Thanks, it yourself. Yeah. yeah, I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely be doing that. Hopefully a few months down the line, give it another release too. And yeah, be exciting. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, well, man, congratulations on, on everything. I mean, really just a remarkable transformation and, and now you're, now you're using that to help, help a lot of people and, and you're to be commended for that and honored for that. That's, that's really good. Um, and, uh, man, that, that Kona, that, that sounds just sounds amazing. That's, that would be high on my list, uh, of, of things if I were to 
be able to qualify for something. I tried to qualify for the Boston Marathon and I missed it by three minutes in my age group. And Ugh. it was it was really it was really tough. It was a tough, tough, tough miss. But I probably learned more from that miss over it took me many years to realize that I probably learned more from missing it by three minutes than than I would have gained if I had just gone to Boston, which would have been pretty amazing. I would have loved to have run the Boston Marathon. But um Yeah that that miss um was 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 hard to swallow but then i look back on it and my nutrition was all messed up and and i i could have could have easily made it you know i was i was in shape to make it but i made some poor choices and and uh and really just didn't have my diet dialed in and had some nutritional i mean some uh gastrointestinal problems about 6 miles from the finish line which yeah. caused me to go a lot slower than I needed to, <laughs> or at least yeah. three minutes slower. <laughs> but, uh, right. but you have those, you have those kind of, um, disappointments, but you know, if you're, if you're introspective enough, you can, you can learn probably more from those than, than, than even the wins. But I would have liked to have had the win. I would have liked to have gone, Yeah. but Kona would be super awesome. That'd be so cool. And what a, what an incredible place to have it. Um, just a, just an awesome Island beautiful everywhere. When I was there uh, with my daughter this summer, we, we went all the way from Kona all the way up to the top of the, the, the mountain there. What is that? Annapurna? Is that what that is? Uh, it's, it's, oh, the Mauna Loa or Mauna yeah, Kea? Yeah. Mauna, Mauna, yeah. Mauna Kea. Uh, I don't know what yeah. I said Annapurna. Um, one, but one go <laughs> all the way up there and then all the way down the other side um, and, and to the ocean on the other side. Um, and it was one of the most incredible days ever. And I guess there's like seven temperate zones in the world and there's six of them represented on that island. And yeah. from one side to the, to the top and to the other side, you experience all of them, everything from, you know, that high mountain. It's just incredible. Hawaii is that particular island is just like one of the world's true wonders, man. It's, it's such a cool place. But, um, yeah, yeah. anyway, I loved hearing your story, man. I loved hearing your story. And I thanks for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And if you guys, uh, want to read this book, I highly suggest it. I bet it's going to be really good. I'd like to read it. Um, so anyway, thanks Adam. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's my pleasure and my honor. I appreciate it, Tom. Thank you. All right. Thanks. See you. To succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9:30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.